you to turn this morning to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Peter, uh, Peter DeVries, in his novel, The Macriel Plaza, describes people who live in a kind of hand-to-mouth luxury. He, he writes this, he says, uh, Never knowing where their next quarterly installment of taxes or, or the payment on the third car is coming from. Uh, he writes how we often live our lives in a way where we are uh, extended to the max. Uh, where we're, we're living uh, in light of tomorrow versus today. Uh, most know firsthand well uh, the axiom, our yearnings always exceed our earnings, uh, that we want more than we make. And so we often in our society spend more uh, than, than what we make in our lives. We, we, we get credit cards and credit and other things, and we buy our third or fourth car, and we wonder, you know, why can't I make these payments and why can't I be satisfied? And in the midst of a culture like that, we're not surprised, we're not surprised when people struggle following Jesus. We're not surprised when people uh, live a life where, where really they're satisfied with a low level of devotion to God. They, they're, they're never really satisfied uh, with the abundance they have, uh, and so they seek to acquire more and more. Uh, for example, you can find at any local bookstore, you can go down to Barnes and Noble or Books a Million or you can get on Amazon and, and you'll find thousand after thousands of books on, on self-help, you know, how to become rich, uh, how to have a happy life. You might even find uh, so-called ministers uh, of Jesus Christ who probably aren't ministers of Jesus Christ, but, but talking about how you can have the best life now and how you can have your, your, your happiness here on earth. And, and all, you, all you need to do is make more money, be more energetic, be, be more beautiful, win big money. We're driven in our culture to have power and success. And, and we think that in the midst of that, that's where happiness is found. We live, if you will, in a narcissistic age where everything is centered around ourselves. Uh, this is why Facebook and Twitter and, and the likes can be so popular among so many. And it's because we tell the narrative of our own lives as if people really care what we are doing. And, and so we tweet out or we take pictures or we send messages or, or among younger generations, we, uh, they take videos or, or other things. And all of this is, is meant to communicate that our lives are the most important thing in everyone's life. And friends, when we think that way, and we consider the world around us that thinks that way, and then we're confronted with a Jesus who, who frankly doesn't think that way, uh, who, who in fact calls us to sacrifice and, and to give our lives to follow him, that, that it's actually costly to follow Jesus. Friends, if you don't hear anything here this morning, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. I want you to hear this. It is costly to follow Jesus. It is costly to follow Jesus. So if you're thinking this morning, you know, I've been dabbling with this Christianity thing. I've been, I've been you know, kind of thinking about becoming a Christian. I want to warn you this morning. Don't. Don't become a Christian this morning. Unless you first count the cost. 
Count the cost. Following Jesus is not an easy endeavor. And what we see in our passage this morning is in fact that God's Word sometimes goes to people who aren't willing to count the cost in following Him. There are sometimes God's Word will go to people who say, you know what, Jesus is a cool guy, He's got some great things to say, but I'm just not willing to count the cost. This morning we come to probably one of the most notoriously famous uh, parables that Jesus ever told. I would imagine that if you were to talk to maybe a non-Christian friend, they may even be aware or have heard this parable before. Uh, The parable of the sower and the seed. Uh, One perhaps is beloved by many here today. One that's familiar. Uh, you got to love it because Jesus does all the work for us in the, in the midst of interpretation and understanding what does this mean. Uh, Jesus uh, helps his disciples understand that. One of the things I want to ask and kind of prod you with is, is most translations, if you have the ESV this morning, it says the parable of the sower. It titles this the parable of the sower. And I, I would argue that this isn't a parable about a sower. Uh, in fact, the sower only has just a few sentences, right? Uh, the sower went out, or a few words, the sower went out to sow seed. That's it. We, we see the bulk of the time is spent among the soil, right? So perhaps a better title might be the parable of the soil. The parable of the soil. But, but all of this is to see that, that really the emphasis you're going to find in this is hearing. Hearing God's word. Hearing. Listen, hear, look, pay attention. Hear God's word and, and, and hear the emphasis on hearing God's word this morning. Mark chapter 4 and verse 1. And again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat on it, sat in it, excuse me, on the sea. The whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. 
And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those who are sown on the good soil are the one who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket? Or an under a bed, not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anything has ears, excuse me, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Hear and heed God's word by being good soil. Hear and heed God's word by being good soil. For only those who hear and believe will bear fruit. I think that captures well what Jesus is saying here. And so this morning I want to organize our thoughts around three questions uh, to help better understand what Jesus is doing here in Mark chapter 4 and to really prepare us for next week as we continue into uh, more parables. So first, uh, I want to ask, what is a parable? What is a parable? Why did Jesus use them? So secondly, I want to think about why did Jesus teach in parables? And then thirdly, why uh, or what excuse me, does this parable mean? Uh, what is it that this parable is meant to communicate and teach us about who Jesus is and about what it looks like to follow Jesus? So let's begin by thinking about what is a parable? What is a parable? Basically, uh, if you're not familiar with that form of teaching, it's one that Jesus loved to use. Uh, if you were to read uh, Luke's gospel, uh, Matthew's gospel, extensive parables. Uh, Mark is limited in the amount of parables he tells. In fact, he's very limited in the, the, the instruction, uh, the actual words of Jesus. Mark is sort of telling a, a fast-paced camera view uh, of Jesus's life and ministry, right? So like if you've ever seen like an action film where they have the, the camera on the car and it's going really fast, it's kind of panning through and it's going super, super fast. That's kind of what Mark is doing. He's kind of telling a real quick story. This is who Jesus is. Believe and trust in him. He's the son of God. And uh, this is what it looks like to follow him. Right? So it's real quick. Matthew, on the other hand, takes time. He's a little bit more tedious. Luke, that brother is the most tedious of them all, right? He says, I write to you uh, to give you a, a Theophilus and an accord, a, 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 accordingly account. He wants to be very detailed. He wants to give a very detailed account of Jesus' life. And John uh, doesn't really record many uh, parables, just a, a few uh, side notes that he uh, gives. And so parables, what is a parable? Uh, parables basically are a practical story that tells or teaches a spiritual truth. A practical story, one that would have related. So a parable of a sower sowing seed, right? 
Like, okay, in that crowd that day, there would have been farmers, there would have been people in agriculture, uh, maybe their uncle was a farmer, maybe their, you know, daddy was a farmer. They would have known what Jesus was talking about. So we're sowing seed. Now for us, that may be a little foreign to us. Maybe if you've never been involved in sowing seed or, or farming or agriculture, that may just seem like, ah, oh, that's not me. I've just kind of lived in the city though my whole life. I've never seen that happen. But, but for maybe some of you, it is familiar. You, you have seen that. You know what it's like to perhaps live in, in an agricultural area where, where there's a lot of farming and things like that. So it's a practical story. It was meant to communicate something in everyday language people would understand. It's similar, but not the same. I want to be cautious here. Uh, oftentimes, uh, it's communicated that a parable is like an illustration Right. So in sermons, all the time you tell you know an illustration. Some of the uh, illustrations are windows into the truth, windows that kind of help us understand something. That's not entirely what a parable is. Okay, and we're going to see in a moment why I would argue a parable isn't like an illustrated. Illustrations illumine truth. We're going to see in a moment. Jesus uses parables to hide the truth. So we want to distinguish a parable from an illustration. A couple definitions might be helpful here. Uh, uh, one gentleman wrote, parables are not merely stories to enjoy. I know sometimes that's how we think, that parables are just kind of neat stories that Jesus told to kind of capture the crowd. Uh, That's not what Jesus is doing with them. They hold up one reality to serve as a mirror to another, which is the kingdom of God. All right, this is, this is, uh, uh, Snodgrass is, is writing this. He says, they are avenues to understanding, handles by which one can grasp the kingdom. Jesus told parables to confront people with the character of God's kingdom and to invite them to participate in it and to live in accordance with it. So he uses them in in various ways, in various means. Uh, Bloomberg writes this, Jesus' stories are not mere illustrations, but weapons of warfare. I really like that, weapons of warfare. Uh, They draw people into seemingly innocuous stories, only to confront them with the demand of discipleship in ways that subvert conventional religious traditions and expectations. I like that. I think that he captures well. Jesus tells parables to stab you in your heart. Jesus tells parables to confront you in your sin. Jesus is telling parables to people who are rejecting him. Jesus is telling parables and hard sayings when the crowds are largest. Right now, uh, in, in American uh, life right now, if you've like been awake, right, you know we're going and we're in the midst of a presidential election. Right, they're, they're in the midst of some some fun things that you watch on the news every night and got little clips of what the wacko said today. Those kind of things. Um, and I say that because you've seen very large crowds. You've seen large crowds gather to hear someone speak. You know, and you may agree with that person, you may disagree with that person, whatever the situation. But I want you to think about those crowds. We naturally don't say hard things when the crowds are the largest, right? Why? Because we don't want to drive people away. We, we want to be parliament, we want to be kind of a partisan. We want, to, we want to bring people along and we want to say things that warm them up to us. And, you know, that's how Jesus is. Jesus says hard things when the crowds are the largest. Perhaps this afternoon, if you, uh, you know, this is a great thing to look and study. Just, just look at, look, look at all the times when Mark mentions the crowds being the largest, and then see what Jesus says following. He hits hard stuff, you know. He says hard stuff to large crowds. 
So that leads us then to that second question. Why then did Jesus teach in parables? Why is Jesus teaching us in parables? Why, why did he teach uh, these large crowds in parables? Well, I think it's really twofold. I don't think it's twofold. The Bible says it's twofold. First, it's to reveal the truth. To reveal truth. Uh, to reveal truth to those who believe, right, the mystery. Notice what, what he says in verse 10. Look at verse 10. Jesus says, and when, excuse me, Mark says, and when Jesus was alone, uh, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. Now, I just want to pause here and notice Mark is very specific. Who is asking to understand the parable? It's not the large crowd. They heard it and they were done with it. They heard it and they didn't want to know anymore. But it's these people who we would probably identify as disciples, these these followers of Christ, who are asking him, what does it mean, Jesus? What did you mean that this parable was so? And Jesus said to them, to you, to y'all, has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. So God uses this. Jesus teaches in parables to reveal the truth about the kingdom of God, about who he is, and about how, how things work in the economy of God's kingdom. right? Because remember, God's kingdom is different than the kingdoms of this world. For example, Jesus says that the last will be first and the first will be last. Now you go to like Wall Street and you say that, they'll laugh in your face, right? Because our world doesn't work that way, right? The last aren't first. What do you what do you mean? The last are first and the first are no 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 the first are the first, right? They're the hard ones, they're the ones that are no, Jesus says not in my kingdom, they're not. The first are last and the last are first. So God's economy is different than ours. The way his world works is different than the way our society works. And so we want to notice and note that distinguished. Notice here the, the language that he uses. He says, has been given the secret. of the, the kingdom of God and the gospel is a secret. It, it's a mystery. In the sense that it, it's not that you can't, it's not that it can't be figured out. It's that you can't figure it out, Right? So, so a mystery isn't something that can't be figured out. What Jesus is saying is, you and you can't figure it out apart from me. Right? That's what Paul says in, in Ephesians 3. That's what Paul's point there. He's saying that this mystery that's been hidden has now been manifest, has been revealed through the church. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's revealing the truth uh, to those who believe the mystery And friends, this is really evidence of God's mercy. The fact that God uses this language of hidden, secret, uh, you know, uh, it reminds us something about God and his character. uh, That God is a God who has revealed himself to us. Um, God didn't have to. Friends, God did not have to reveal himself to Adam and Eve. He, He could have created them. And just sort of step back and let, let them die in their sin. But God revealed himself to him. He, he's revealed himself in his word. If you want to know God, you, you want to know the God of the Bible, well, I should encourage you, just like, that's where you go. You just read here, and it'll tell you about who Jesus is. It's the Son of God. It'll tell you about God the Father. You just, you're going to learn about God here. 
Because he's revealed himself. He, he's told us who he is. He hasn't told us through dreams and, and mystical sayings, but he told us in his word. He's revealed himself. That's what we see in the parable of the lamp in verse 21. He, says, he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Well, this is just kind of like basic logic, right? right? Um, you don't buy a candle and then go take it home, light it, and put it underneath your bed, right? Uh, this is not really wise, right? You don't do that, right? You just don't do that, right? You don't go and buy a beautiful light fixture to put a put some, put it you know put it under your bed or, or or put it under a basket hide it right no he says no you you have a lamp the purpose of the lamp is for the lamp to shine brightly right so he's saying the purpose of the gospel isn't really to be hidden God God doesn't want it to keep it hidden no no God is like bubbling over ready to declare the glory of the gospel through His Son and that's what we see happening here he's saying hey there's going to come a time. Where right now it's hidden. Right now in Jesus' ministry right here, remember, he doesn't want people talking about him. He doesn't want people running around in the streets telling about what he's doing. Because he doesn't want people to have the wrong idea of who he is and what he's come to do. Okay, And so what Jesus is saying is like one day, disciples, my followers, you're going to go out and you're going to broadcast the gospel widely. Right? You're not meant to keep it hidden. So, so we want to be clear here in a moment. When we talk about the concealing of the gospel, and we're going to see that, that God conceals the truth. He hides the truth from certain people. Right? And, you might, and we're going to, I want you to understand, that doesn't mean you're going to go around hiding the truth. and be like, oh, you know, I don't like you, so I'm not going to share the gospel with you. Right? That's not what Jesus is suggesting here, and that's not, and I'm not suggesting that as well. So uh, I want you to see the purpose then of the parable of the lamp is to demonstrate for us the purpose of the gospel is so that you might broadcast it widely and among those around you. So he's instructing the disciples, hey, don't, don't just think that, that the gospel is something that's to remain hidden. No, rather, it is something that will be revealed in its time. So we see then the second purpose of, the go- of, of teaching in parables is to conceal the truth from those who deny the obvious. To conceal the truth from those who deny the obvious. Now why did I say the obvious? Why the obvious? What, what was so obvious about what Jesus was doing? Well, I mean, you, we, we could just think back on some of the activities that Mark records that Jesus was a part of. Um, healing people, for example. right? So a lame man comes in and he's no longer lame. A leper comes in and is no longer a leper, right? Uh, dead people come to life, right? So like the obvious, right? Your neighbor was once dead and now he's walking the streets, right? Obviously something happened to him, right? Something happened, right? And they miss the obvious. They're missing the obvious. Uh, the demon-possessed men uh, or, or women that Jesus encounters, and he delivers them, right? We're going to see in a few weeks uh, this man, this notorious man in the tombs, among the tombs, and he's uh, there, there he's screaming, a naked little dude running around. All of a sudden, he's not naked and running around town anymore or chained there, and the, he's actually dressed in right mind. Uh, hello, something happened to this guy, right? Who was the last guy that saw him? Jesus was, okay, right? So the, it's hidden from those who deny the obvious. And friends, this is evidence of God's judgment. Look at what he says in verse 11. And Jesus said to them, To you all 
to y'all, it's been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. And notice the purpose, verse 12, so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now, Jesus here is quoting Isaiah, uh, Isaiah's words uh, here, uh, but he is, he, he's demonstrating the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy that those that harden their hearts against God and the obvious revelation of him in his word, that God will not reveal further truth to them. I like the way the Holman Christian translates this. Uh, they may look and look, yet not perceive. Or they may listen and listen and not understand. Right? It vividly captures the activity of, of looking and looking and looking and looking and looking, but not really seeing. Right? Uh, just recently, um, this happens often. But uh, you know, if you've got kids, you, you you can maybe perhaps relate with this. Had kid, you know, had had some kids in your house, and uh, my son. Sometimes I'll, I'll give him a, a whole host of instructions. And, uh, well, I'll go through those instructions, like, I need you to do this, this, and this, right? Just go to this, I'll kind of repeat it with him. He's like, he's like, I'm like, you tracking with me? You looking at me? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got you. Uh, he'll go off, and like a few, few, like maybe 30 seconds, minute later, he'll come back down and look at me, like, what was it that you wanted me to do? <laughs> uh, dude, I like, I thought we went over this, you know? Uh, right? He, he, he was hearing, right? And, and it just wasn't connecting in his little brain, like, what was, like, what are you doing? And, and that's what Jesus is saying. They're hearing the truth. Friend, you may be hearing me this morning, but just because you hear the gospel does not mean that you understand the gospel. It doesn't mean that you are... But if you've come this morning with a hard heart against God and His Word and say, hey, that's not for me. I don't really want to obey Him. I'm just kind of doing this for my, my friend or my mom, my dad, or, or, or whoever. I want you to tell, to just warn you here. The God is gracious for such a while. And He was willing to, to, to keep the truth back from, from those who were rejecting Him. You know, we, we think that time is, like, in our lives is just infinite. Like, you know, we're just going to live forever. My well, friend, you don't know when the end will be. Don't just continue to trust that you'll have tomorrow to consider these things or, or you'll have, you know, in the next time phase in your life or whatever, in retirement I'll think about this or, or you know, when things settle down I'll think about this. I'll devote my life to Jesus when, when things aren't just quite so busy in my life. Friends, what we see here is that Jesus is increasing their culpability before God because they are hearing the truth of the gospel and they are rejecting it and therefore will spend an eternity in condemnation. And I want, you to, I want you to think this morning, Christian, brother, sister, I want you to think. Is this the God who you believe? Is this the God that you've come to trust? A God who will harden hearts. Who will, as he says, give them minds that do not understand, lest they turn and I forgive them. God is a just God. He did not have to save any one of us. But he chose to because he loves his own son. Loves his own glory. And friend, I want you to know that this is the God of the Bible. The God is a just God. 
He's a holy God, and he's not a God to contend with. He's a God who is merciful and a God who is just. And that the gospel is one of a free gift offered to you if you would repent and believe in that gospel and trust in it. But those who persistently reject him, friend, there is not a second chance. You don't get to go to heaven and just say, oop, my bad, I messed up. And he say, oh, it's all right. No. He deals with your sin in his son, and he deals with you now. So why? To both reveal and conceal the truth. Let's think now at this particular parable uh, in our time remaining. What does this particular parable teach? What, what does the parable of the sower teach us? Or the parable of the seed or the parable of the source. What, what is it that Jesus is teaching? Well, there's really four things I want us to think just briefly about. So be quick, so don't be afraid. Uh, first, God's word will garner different responses. God's word will garner different responses. People will respond differently to the gospel. Right? Then you think, well, why did, why, did, why did Jesus need to teach that? Remember who, he's, who, who Mark is writing to. Mark includes this story. He didn't have to include this story, but on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he includes this story. He's writing to Christians. Well, friend, that is a good thing to hear, that when I share the gospel, people are going to respond differently to it. Right? When I'm out broadcasting seed, people are going are are to think about it differently. Now, Jesus does much of the legwork for us here, so we don't have to spend much time thinking about interpretation. But, but if you want, jump down to verse 13. It's where Jesus explains what the parable means. This is what he goes and he kind of takes his disciples aside and says, hey guys, just going to help you out here. Here's what it means. All right. So verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. The sower sows the word. And so I just want to be clear here. The, the, the word of God is what the word is there. It's the gospel. You say, well, how do you come to that conclusion? Well, if you read Mark's gospel, he uses the gospel of the kingdom of God and the word, that statement, definite article, word, uh, as synonyms. So when you see Jesus uh, in his ministry, he goes out and he shares the word. Back in chapter 1 and verse 14, we are told by Mark what Jesus' primary activity is in his ministry. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So let me be clear, what we're talking about here is those that have heard the gospel and how they react to that gospel that they've heard. Okay? So, so I think Jesus is teaching us here that, that people respond differently when they hear the gospel. Let's just look briefly at those different responses. First, Jesus says that some will hear but Satan snatches it away, right? So those that are sown along the path where the word is sown, they, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Now I want you to just notice a couple of things here. This is like normal thing farming, right? So you're farming, you're shooting that seed out, you're throwing it out there, throwing it out there, throwing it out there, and some of it lands on the path, right? He's just carelessly tossing it out there. Some of it lands over on the path, so that's where people walk, right? 
so any field would have had little edges that, you know, pathways people would have walked. I mean, you don't walk through the crop, right? You damage the plants if you do that, right? you got to walk on a pathway on the sidewalk. Uh, that's, you know, just imagine. It's like if we went out here today and threw some seed out here on the sidewalk, uh, nothing's going to happen, right? right? <laughs> birds are going to come in there and swoop in, and they're going to take them away, right? They're going to be like, yes, finally some food. Uh, and they're going to be excited to see it. They're going to take it away. And Jesus says, this is what happens. Some people hear the word. Now, I want you to notice that this individual heard the gospel. Nowhere in this do we see any description and any changes in the word and the one sowing. So the problem isn't with the sower and the problem isn't with the seed. That's important. It's important. It's not as if like when the seed got to the good soil, like that was a that was one of those souped up seeds. It was one of those like, you know, that GMO, you know, uh, genetically modified guys, you know, that wasn't what was going on there. Right. It's the same seed. It's the same sower. Right. So so the problem in the context here is the soil. That's the emphasis is on the soil. That's why I think it would be better to title this the parable of the soil. OK, so we see that they hear they heard the gospel. But Satan comes and takes the word away. Uh, they're ones that hearts are so hardened that the word of God can't penetrate. It's as hard as the concrete. It's hard as concrete. Friends, this reminds us of Pharaoh, does it not, who hardened his heart against God's word. God's word came to Pharaoh over and over and over. Oh, God was so gracious with Pharaoh. Here, let my people go. I mean, I mean Moses was in there begging him persistently begging him, and Pharaoh hardened his heart to God's word of grace. The seed doesn't get into a hard heart. We see secondly, as the second heart is one, excuse me, one who hears, again I want you to notice, verse 16, and these are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, again, they've heard it, immediately they receive it with joy. They receive it with joy. There, there, there's some joyfulness to, to the gospel. There's some, at some level, some apprehension, some understanding. Like, this is good. I should be happy. This is exciting news. After all, that's why we call it good news, not bad news, right? It, there's some goodness and some joy and some excitement. Maybe they've experienced some spiritual vigor in their life. Something, something's going on in their life. But notice the tragedy that results. They have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. But when tribulation and persecution comes, they fall away. Friends, these are those who personal comforts outweigh commitments. Personal comfort outweighs commitment to Christ. And this is, this may be some people you know. They've heard the word over and over. But personal comforts outweigh the commitment of the gospel. It's shallow. It's just pie in the sky. But when things get tough, they run. This is why I'm so adamant to warn you to stay off of the TV and the TV preachers. Because they... Are only, they are only sowing in shallow. If the, if the message is about your personal comfort and about your happiness in this life, 
I can guarantee you it is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because persecution will come. It will come. I can guarantee it. It may come in different ways for some of us, but it will come. And those that are not prepared for it fall away. The seed does not bear fruit. They are not Christians. I want to be clear here. They are not believers. They are not disciples of Jesus Christ. For they fell away. Personal comfort outweighs commitment to follow Christ. This is where we begin to see the disciple that has to reckon that it is costly to follow Jesus. Let's look at the third one. The third one, verse 18. And others, the one sown among the thorns. There are those who hear the word. Again, I want you to see they've heard the gospel just like everyone else. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Oh, what, a, what, a, what, a, what a deep and clear and, and decisive word that materialism will destroy your life. And it will destroy any chances of the gospel flourishing in your life. Notice what he says. Look, the cares of life, the cares of this world. Friend, I wanted to say something, and this may not be you, but it may be your family, and I want to tell you something. If you care more about your kids' uh, performance in sports than you do about eternal things, well, you're in a whacked up world. Because uh, what matters more is that kid's soul than whether or not he can play high school basketball or football or baseball. Friend, your kid is never going to be a professional baseball or football player or whatever. Like the chances are one in a billion. Don't do not sow into your child's life or your grandchildren's life that that earthly, worldly things are more important than the eternal things. Because here's what you're doing: you are preparing in their hearts thorns that will prevent them from believing the gospel. I guarantee you that. I guarantee that's what you're doing. You, you want to be, there's nothing, I, I was, I played sports, I ain't got no problem with sports, but, but it's how you leverage that and what you teach your kids about important things, your grandkids. I want you to hear that well. And that's not only that, I mean, that can be so many things. Your, your concerns about, you know, successfulness in work or, or your career, or your retirement account or whatever the cares of this world may be for you. It's going to be in this crowd vast and different. But do you care more for this world or another world that is grand and great and glorious and the deceitfulness of riches? Literally, riches that deceive. Riches that, do you know riches can deceive? They can deceive us into thinking that, that, that we can be satisfied with, with money and wealth and all these things. Uh, saw this last night, Mark Dever said, settling into loving money is like giving Satan the car keys to your life. Just love that. I mean, I think that materialism, uh, driving to have more and more just so you can have, like keep it and have it, oh, it deceives us and creates hearts not able to hear the gospel. Fight against that. And then he says the desires of other things. And I want you to see it comes in and it chokes. There's only one of other 
uh, two times that, that Jesus, or really the, God, the New Testament even uses that word to choke. And, and in Luke 8.42, it's the same, same picture. It's just choking, literally cutting off. That's what this world will do to the seed of the gospel. I want you to see that each of these deal with heart space. It's really about the heart. He's using these soils to talk about the human heart. How much space are you giving to God in your life? How much space is there for God's word in your life? And in each of these contexts, uh, in these first three, we see that there, it, it, there's something. Whether it be totally hard, nothing, 100%. Maybe a little bit, you know, it's shallow. There's, some, there's something there, maybe, you know, like 50-50 there. Maybe it's the other where the cares of this world, you're just kind of back and forth. Heart space. Friends, I want you to re- don't be surprised when people reject the gospel. Don't be surprised when, when you share the gospel with friends and family. They reject it. So Jesus is saying here, don't be like disciples, don't be surprised when people hear and reject. Secondly, I want you to see God's word will bear fruit in different ways. God's word will bear fruit in different ways. There's a promise in this passage that God's word will bear fruit. You need to have assurance that when you are out spreading the seed, spreading the word, and sharing the gospel, and spreading broadly and widely among different people, some will believe, and that is a word of promise. Though it may be seen that one after another are rejecting God's word, we see there's three types of responses to God's word that are positive. Some bear 30, some bear 60, some bear 100. Friends, in the, in the farming world, this is a little radical. Jesus' statement here is a little crazy. 30-fold, okay, we got that. It's a good season, good rain. Yeah, I got it. Okay, we did a good job. 60-fold, now Jesus, you're just crazy. And 100 I'd tell you this, if you've ever been in farming or been in a farming world, a uh, hundredfold is impossible. Impossible. Uh, what that means is that 100% of the seed that was sown bears a crop. Right, yeah, that, yeah you, just, you already know. Like, if, you don't even do it, if you've done anything like planting, like if you've ever planted anything, you know, like, yeah, that's not, right? So Jesus is a liar? No. Friends, the gospel will bear fruit in different ways. For some, it will bear tremendous fruit, radically amazing fruit. But for others, it'll be 60. That's good. That's still a good return. And so it's 30%. Jesus is saying, hey, look, don't just go around being fruit inspectors and say, hey, that dude's got more fruit than me. I must not be a Christian. He says, all will bear fruit. Jesus says, or excuse me, God's word says as much in Isaiah 55. A familiar passage, maybe to some, right? Uh, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that purpose which I have for it and shall succeed in the things of which I sent it. God's word will bear the fruit that he has designed it to bear. Thirdly, we see that God's word will bear fruit in only those who hear and heed God's word. The point is clear. It is those who obey the gospel that are the ones that bear fruit. It's the ones that can hear the gospel and who bear fruit in the gospel, that that obey the gospel, that bear fruit. And so the question is, what is a disciple? What is a Christian? 
Friend, that word, that question's been tossed around this week, has it not? News and media, you know. What is a Christian? What's Jesus say? A Christian is one who bears fruit in his life. But those that are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. They're those who bear fruit. How will you know a disciple from not a disciple? They bear fruit in their lives. There's evidence of transformation in their lives. There's evidence of growing and changing. And so the exhortation here throughout is to listen, to look up. Jesus says, hey, he who has ears to hear, better to listen up, right? Just let him hear. That's That's an imperative. That's a command. Listen up, he says. Hey, he says, listen up. If you're a disciple, you better listen up. If you want to follow me, you better listen up, he says. You better listen real good. He says it twice in this section. Listen. Listen. Pay attention, he says. Listen up. Only those who bear fruit will be saved. Only those who bear fruit will be saved. So the question is, is how can perhaps I know that I'm a Christian? Well, friend, saving faith is persevering faith. Saving faith is faith that that lasts. It bears fruit. Friend, it may bear fruit in different quantities, in different seasons of life, but it always bears fruit. Persevering faith is faith that saves. That's why I don't like that common idiom used among Southern Baptists that, you know, once saved, always saved. That is inaccurate. That is an inaccurate statement. No, don't use that. Persevering faith is saving faith. That is, faith that perseveres to the end will be saved. Right? God will save you through perseverance. Right? So I do believe that in the perseverance of the saints, that is, those that are genuinely saved persevere to the end. Well, that's saying something different to say, hey, I prayed a prayer, walked an aisle when I was nine years old, and well, by golly, I'm saved. That's not accurate. Not accurate to the Bible. Saving faith is persevering faith. So I leave you with this question. What kind of space are you giving in your life for God's Word? What kind of space are you giving in your life for God's Word? Are you giving a regular time of reading, praying, and meditating on God's Word? I can guarantee you this, you will not bear fruit if you do not come in contact with his word. If the seed is not continually poured into your life and into your heart, it will not bear fruit. Hear God's word means that you have to obey God's word, right? I mean, I want you to see, and as a, as a stern warning to everyone, to myself, that just hearing God's word doesn't mean you will bear fruit. Regularly encountered with God's Word does not guarantee that it will save you. But it's those who hear and heed God's Word that will be saved. Friends, there's a way that you can come in here week after week and hear sermons and be just a passive listener. Just sort of passively like in one ear out the other. Friend, I just pray that you would develop in your heart an active posture to God's Word. Listening Holding on, not to my words, but to God's word. Holding on to it and and sustaining. 
friend, and your wife and others suggest is just have a regular conversations about God's word. But, you know, grab a brother or sister in Christ and talk about the sermon or talk about a passage of scripture or a Christian book. Just, just get together and, and have gospel conversations with one another. I, I, if you're right now just kind of thinking, you know, Pastor, I don't see fruit in my life like I wish I saw. I want to grow. I, I, I want to see that. I want to see 30, 60, 100 fold. Friend, that's a great way to start right there. Grab a brother. If you're a brother, sister, sister, right? Uh, go. Just start having conversations about God's word. And then just trust that it will bear fruit in your life. So which soil are you? What kind of space are you giving to God's word in your life? That's what we want to leave ourselves with this morning. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And, and Lord, we just pray that it would, that your word would go out and accomplish its purposes. That it would bear fruit in our lives. That we would see a harvest of 30-fold. We'd see a harvest of 60. We'd see a harvest of 100. Not, not of money, oh Lord, but of, of genuine fruit, of faithfulness and following after you. I pray here among the disciples that follow you here at Cadenceville, Lord, that, that we would see that kind of fruit just bearing out. Lord, that we would be broadcasting seed in our lives. Oh, Lord, may we be about sharing the gospel and not concerned about what kind of results it garners, but, but know and trust that your word will bear fruit. We don't have to manipulate your word, Lord. We don't have to, we don't have to manipulate people in order to get them to believe. We know your word will accomplish its purposes. Whether it be to harden and conceal, whether it is to reveal, we trust your word, and we trust the power of the gospel to save lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.